Look at you all. Look at this. This is incredible. Thank you so much for being here. What a gift. What a joy it is to be with God's people in his presence hearing his word. Can I say this? I feel like nervous this morning. I don't, I don't know why. Just excited, handling these mysteries, the, the beauty, the goodness of Christmas and being here with you all. So thank you so much for being here. We are going to look at a marvelous, marvelous text this morning, Psalm 98. And before we do, I should say, we are so close. We are so close. We are on the cusp of Christmas. We are on the edge of the darkness. We are on the threshold of the great light. Today is the last Sunday of Advent. It's Christmas Eve, as you obviously are all aware of, which means tomorrow is the dawn of something wonderful. Christmas Day, the day that Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, was, was born into this world, took on flesh, entering into the darkness and the gloom to heal a broken land and a needful people. Tomorrow changed everything. I know that might sound like I mixed up my, my words like I usually do. I muddle them up a bit sometimes. But tomorrow changed everything. Tomorrow is not simply a day of the adrenaline of open, opening all the, the gifts that we've been waiting for, opening the packages. I think we all recognize that. It's not just a day full of the pleasures of eating good food and the pleasures of being with loved ones. It's something a little more cosmic. It's something more, more grand. It's bigger. Or from the mouth of an iconic Christmas figure, a really savvy theologian. It's something ginormous. It's big. It's massive. It's the day in which the darkness cracked. The day in which the light of heaven invaded the gloom of earth. The day that the Son of God took on flesh. The day rejoicing entered the occupied territory of an embattled world. It was the day the joy came to the world. It's the day a weary world began rejoicing its eternal rejoicing. Now, Advent, as, as you may know, it's, it's the four weeks, it's the season, it's the four weeks leading up to Christmas Day. It's a season of longing, of, of waiting, waiting for God's arrival, waiting for his, his coming. And this has to do with his first arrival and his second arrival. His first arrival is, is the incarnation as the infant. That word incarnation means in the flesh. Um, this is not to be crass, it's just to help us understand. Think of the word carne asada, flesh, meat. You, get, like, you connect the words. That sounds so base and strange, but that's the scandal of Christmas. That God, the Son, would take on flesh the incarnation of God the Son as an infant, as, as a baby. But Advent also reminds us of, tells us of the forthcoming arrival when the king comes, this time not as an infant, but as the triumphant king who will wipe away all our tears. So today, our Christmas Eve text, this transition from Advent to Christmas Day, our, our text is Psalm 98. And maybe that comes as a surprise to you. Maybe that sounds strange, a psalm for Christmas. Why not a gospel account? Why not the Christmas birth narratives? 
Well, there's a good deal of strangeness to Christmas. I think we acknowledge that. We should believe that. It's rather surprising, I think, and strange that God the Son would be born to a virgin girl named Mary. There is a a right and appropriate strangeness to Christmas. Christmas is a staggering miracle that should make the mind bend. It should make the mind bend a bit. It should make hearts two times too small swell three sizes in a day. And that's strange and that's wonderful. So maybe Psalm 98, as our Christmas text, is a bit unexpected or unlikely and surprising. That's okay. Because it has much to teach us. There's much light in it. And this unknownness or unexpectedness, so to speak, of Psalm 98 reminds me a bit of the song that we were singing, Joy Joy to the World. Because that song was not meant to be a Christmas song, you might say. It was an unlikely and unexpected Christmas song. It was not written to be one. It was written by the English poet and minister Isaac Watts in 1719, but it wasn't until about a century later, about a century later, that it was brought to life by a popular musician in Boston named Lowell Mason in 1848. Now, Mason, you might say, was something of um, the producer, um, a musician. He was an 1800-style a DJ, you could say, he sampled George Friedrich Handel's oratorio, the famous song Messiah. So he sampled the music from the Messiah, which was written in 1741, taking pieces of it, and he remixed it with the lyrical work of Isaac Watts from a century earlier, and there you have it. Joy to the world became a beloved Christmas classic. And if you really think about the words that we were singing, you, you come to see that it's really singing about his second advent, his second coming, his, his future arrival, the return of the king. And the song that he wrote, that Isaac first wrote, it's based upon the words of, can you guess what psalm? Well, Psalm 98. And that was written somewhere around circa 1000 B.C. And so here you have this mashup, Joy to the World, is this surprising remixed Christmas hymn based on an Old Testament psalm pointing to Jesus, pointing to the Messiah, the hero who would come in victory, set to musical samples and fragments written in England by a German composer and remixed together by a Bostonian in the United States. Simple genealogy of a song, right? <laughs> Why the, the songs grip on people? Why are we still singing it? Why joy to the world? Or as O Holy Night says, the weary world rejoices. Why? How? Why? Well, because of what Christmas truly is. Because the incarnation, because God the Son took on a body. And I believe the psalm will have something wonderful for us today. I, I believe that the Lord has some love for us to experience, some light for us to see, some, uh, some truth for us to delight in. So let's open up Psalm 98 by his grace. Psalm 98, verses 1 through 3, again, it says, Oh, sing to the Lord the new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm, they've worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel all the ends of earth of the earth have been seen or have seen the salvation of our God. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. 
So obviously, the psalm is calling us to sing, right? To sing a, a new song, to rejoice with our whole being, the intake of our breath, the, the dancing of our vocal cords, lyrics on our, our lips, melody and harmony in the air. And I'm sure you've noticed it before, but, but joyous people instinctively sing, right? Somebody walks through the office, or maybe somebody comes down the stairs in your house, and they enter the kitchen humming and, and singing and whistling, and your response is like, what put you in such a good mood, right? Joy spills out of the soul through song. Joy is too powerful to be bottled up in our hearts and in our lungs. It spills out, it bubbles over. And so why this joyful singing in the psalm? Well, it's because of who God is and because of what he has done. Because this God has done marvelous things. Such a beautiful phrase and a beautiful truth. This God, he has done marvelous things. That's not just a, an expensive word that the author put in there. It's actually a technical term that refers to what God has done in history. It's a reference to God's divine intervention, primarily referring to the Exodus when God saved his people out of slavery and darkness and split a sea and brought them into the wilderness and, and fed them and gave them water and his glorious shining presence. God had intervened in history. And if you step back and you just take in the grand picture, God has breathed the splendors of all creation into existence. God has taken clay and, and his breath and merged them in human beings as his image bearers. He's been patient with humanity in our mutiny and our revolt and our sin. He's promised redemption and led history in a way towards the redeeming events God has redeemed his people from slavery through the exodus. God provided food and water and his loving presence in the wilderness. God brought his people into the promised land and showered them with blessing. God stayed faithful while his people showed uh, an incredible bent and skill in being unfaithful and forgetting his blessings and grumbling. And then God did the most marvelous and miraculous of things. He moved into the neighborhood. He dove into the darkness, and he took on flesh. The Son of God came to earth, fully human, fully divine, to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. And here I should note two, two things, the historicity and the holy wonder of this, the historicity and the holy wonder of the marvelous things that he has done. So first, the historicity. God has done these marvelous things. He has intervened. In history. See, the Bible is the, the history of redemption, telling us who God is and, and what He's done and what He's about in this world. And so, faith in this Jesus is not just some abstract thing. We're not dealing here with a, a made up, thought up philosophy. This is not theory. Faith is made up of the dust and the mud and the blood and the bone of history. These things happened, and they happened in particular places, in particular times, with particular people. We're not dealing with fables, but with reality. And now, holy wonder, holy wonder. These are marvelous things that he has done. His interventions have been marvelous, miraculous. See, there is this supernatural reality to existence. Our hearts are eternity-shaped. They are forever 
aimed, our hearts desire and long for something wonderful to come our way. It's why we do so many of the strange things we do, reaching out, grasping for something loaded with meaning and and purpose and hope. We ache for the miraculous, and, and it might sound a little bit strange, but go with me here for a moment. We even desire to be haunted a bit. Why do we return to Dickens, the classic Christmas carol, year after year after year, this strange collision of of haunting and and merriment and redemption and restoration and and life change? We long for heaven to invade this earth, though we might not say it that way. We're wired for it. We ache for the miraculous. We long for the otherworldly. I mean, have you you ever had the thought while driving down... uh, a dark road on a, on a December night, and then just had the thought, like, what makes people do this? All, all of this stuff, this stringing up of, of these lights. I mean, I don't know, maybe this shows something weird to me, but have you ever seen a pathetic-looking strand of, of lights barely hanging on a barren tree? I mean, it's just like a, like a really wimpy-looking string of lights. And you go, why, why the effort? for such an unimpressive glow. Why do that? Why dig them out of a box? Why plug them in? Why throw them up there? Well, could it be? Could it be that what people need and long for is hope to to invade the despair? Are, Are these silly strings of lights these simple lights that are quickly thrown up by some are they impulses for something wonderful and bright amidst the dark a form of revolt against the darkness of this world and might it might they represent an irrepressible desire for something extraordinary to invade the mundane and the ordinary and the monotony of things could it be that they are a way of resisting the darkness saying there has to be more and with each led light we put up we go god there's got to be something more than this See, we need a miracle. We need a miracle. The long, winding tale of damage that we call history needs a miracle. And Christmas brings together the history and the holy wonder in the tiny toes and the warm breath and and the milk-craving cry of, of an infant who doesn't even know how to use his own body, and he's all clumsy-like, and his nervous system is, is flailing, trying to understand this, this frame that he's in as he was ushered into and born into this tiny town called Bethlehem, a shepherd's town. History and wonder colliding in Christmas. And in the words of W.H. Auden, the poet, how could the eternal do a temporal act? How could the infinite become a finite fact? Nothing that can save us is possible. We who must die demand a miracle. How could the eternal do a temporal act? The infinite become a finite fact. Nothing can save us that is possible. In other words, we can't save ourselves We who must die demand a miracle. See, God's love and grace showed up in the flesh to redeem and to restore. And so why joy to the world? Why joy to the world at Christmas? Well, one, because there's no salvation without Jesus' marvelous birth. There's no salvation. There's no joy. There's no union with God without it. No peace for our souls. No peace for the groaning of creation. 
So here's the glorious logic of it. There's no salvation without Jesus saving us from our sins. There's no saving us from our sins without the cross and the empty tomb. There's no cross and there's no empty tomb without Jesus in the cradle. There's no Christmas. If there's no Christmas, there's no Easter. And there's, there's no cross. Well, there's no, there's no manger, then there's no cross, right? No salvation, no redemption, no crucifixion, and no resurrection without the incarnation. The marvel of the incarnation. So Jesus came, and in doing so, we see verse 2 here of our psalm. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He came to save all peoples across this world of his, all nations. Every tribe, every tongue. And this was the plan all along. At one point, God had revealed to Abraham that he would bless the whole world through Abraham, through his whole family. A blessing would come down through them to, to bless this entire world, to be light to the entire world. And here we see this God who is full of steadfast love and faithfulness, who fulfills his promises. And it says in verse 3, he has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. He's fulfilled his promises. He's remembered them. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. So again, why joy to the world? Because God has done marvelous things. He has brought a Savior to the world through Israel. Christmas is this marvelous miracle of grace coming, taking on flesh in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, born in Bethlehem. And the news of who he is and what he's done has spread through this earth and continues to spread. Now verses 4 through 6, they tell us the proper response to this marvelous, incredible news. So look at verses 4 through 6 for a moment. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth in the joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre. That's a stringed instrument, not somebody who deceives you, okay? Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord, Yahweh, the King who is God. So we are to, with the angels and to the shepherds of the Christmas story and, and to Mary herself, we are to respond to this news with, with rejoicing, to blow those trumpets and clarinets and flutes and saxophones and recorders to strum those strings, to make the guitar and the cello, the, the violin, the bass sing with gladness. And note, it's to do it unto the king. And this king is the God of the universe. So here's yet another reason for joy to the world. And it's this, because Jesus didn't just enter into the situation, forgive us for our sins, and then leave us, and then hope we don't mess up and hope things don't go awry and just like hands off. The Savior is King and God, and He rules and reigns now and forever. As the song says, right? Joy to the world, the Lord has come, let earth receive her King. Let earth receive her King. He rules and reigns now, and He will forever and ever and ever. In verses 7 and 9 of, of the passage, we get to see the power and, and the glory of this King. This is incredible. Look at verse 7. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, 
For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. This is more than poetic language. This is getting to a deep fact about reality. See, the Christmas king who has come to do these marvelous things, he's king over all creation, over all creation, and his kingdom of hope, love, joy, and, and peace, all the elements of, of Advent all come together, and he's going to redeem and restore this weary world and all of creation. This king is, is so great that the tides of the Pacific cheer him. The ocean waves of the Atlantic shout and they bow down before this king. The rivers applaud him and, and there are streams that run from the Sierra summits to receiving seas. They applaud, they worship in the mountains and the hills. They form a chorus, they sing songs. They, they throw harmony into the atmosphere about his majesty. So why joy to the world? Because this king Jesus is at work restoring all of creation. All of it, calling all goodness and all beauty and all truth to weave together to serve him. You know, I don't think I have to prove this, this to you. Uh, creation groans. Creation creaks. And the scriptures say that, that all creation groans. And God wants to restore and redeem these things. He cares about the earthy things that serve his his glory. And so the groaning and the creaking will be turned into gladness and will be turned into singing. This is good news. He cares about the body that he made for you. He cares about the world that he created to shine forth his radiance and splendor. And he's going to restore it all into something beyond our imaginations. He's not just going to extract us and take us into some ethereal somethingness. He's going to redeem and restore all creation. Incredible. Now this leads us to our last line of the psalm, and it's a good one. Verse 9, he will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. So do you ever look out on the world and look at your feed and look what's coming across, you know, that ad nauseum scrolling on your phone and go, this shouldn't be. This isn't right. Or maybe you just read something and you groan or you cry. Or maybe it's expressed by saying someone should do something. This, these cycles of, of, of revenge and, and bloodshed and vengeance, they need to be broken. This hate must end. The death must be overcome. I think that's all too familiar for us. I think that's easy for us to, to connect with, that, those feelings. But because of Christmas, we're not stuck in the gloom of these things. Because that baby who was born to die, come, is coming back as the king who will do what is right and wipe away all the tears and bring his justice. So why joy to the world? Because King Jesus will judge the world with righteousness. Now what does that mean? He dresses up in religious clothing and uses King James English. No, it means he does what is right. He does what is good. No evil will be undealt with. He will do everything as it should be. No injustice will be forgotten. Hate will not win. Love will triumph. Death will not have the last word. Resurrection gets the last word. And as Juliana of Norwich said, all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. And in the meantime, 
And in the meantime, his kingdom spreads and glows and resists the darkness, his grace and his mercy and his redeeming love spread by the power of his spirit through his people, through the good news of Jesus in word and deed. Now that said, I think uh, I should say this next bit. Every year, every year we are in danger of sentimentalizing Christmas, aren't we? In danger of sentimentalizing Christmas, taming it so to speak, rather than letting it be scandalizing. It's made safe, it's inoculated, it's gilded with, with glitter, it's declawed, so to speak, by distraction, blunted, watered down, normalized, whatever word you want to use, but it's made smaller and more manageable and more controllable by us. But in truth, Christmas is scandalizing. It's shocking It's sacred because Christmas is a divine rescue mission. It's a divine rescue mission. God the Son diving into the darkness of this earth, into the gloom, into the sin-riddled world. He invaded earth with the strangest weapons imaginable. Vulnerability. Vulnerability as his way of entering in. To overcome? That's strange. He took on humanity. He became acquainted with our our grief. He took on a life of splinters and and tears and labor and heartache. He He knows what it's like to hurt. He knows what it's like to feel the pains of this world. Why? Well, all that he might rescue us from the darkness of evil and our sin. And so, why joy to the world? Well, Because things will not always be as they now are. Because a good and loving God is on the move bringing joy to a weary world. Because he will come again. And this time not as an infant trying to figure out a nervous system in a cradle. But as a king ruling and reigning. So you could say this, ultimately, why? Why joy to the world? Well, it's because of God's great love. It's because of God's great love that reveals his great glory. And I think we, we can forget this, and, and I pray that we don't forget this. But John 3.16, you know the one that's put on all the poster boards and put up and tattooed and written on all these different things, John 3.16. This is an incredible Christmas text, and we have not plumbed its depths. I mean, maybe you, you could say it is from heart, but here it is. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that whoever would trust in him, would, would believe in him, might not perish, but have eternal life. With no Christmas, we all perish. But the gift of Christmas is the gift of the Son of God entering into our pain, entering into our darkness, giving us a life that we don't deserve. And now we live. And now we sing joyful songs for all eternity. And like the song says, the wonders. What does it say? The wonders of his 
What is it? The wonders of his? The wonders of his love. These untamable, mysterious facets of his love that point us to this God who so loved you. Who so loved you that he came and died in your place. Began in the manger, but he was heading towards our cross. There's so many reasons to rejoice, my friends. We could be here all day doing this. If you're a follower of Jesus, though, I, I want you just to remember this. The, the love that came and has, has turned your heart inside out and right side up. The love of Jesus that came into your darkness and replaced the, the hate and the anger and filled it with a strange new thing called love and compassion and mercy. Remember what he's done. Tell the story. Testify to the light that has come into your life. And live in accordance with that. And celebrate. Sing so loud today. Sing tonight before you go to bed. Wake up tomorrow singing, rejoicing. And if you're not a follower of this Jesus, and I recognize there might be many who are here today that aren't because family's here, or you're in town, whatever reason brought you here. One, I'm glad you're here. But whatever reason brought you here, know this, that God was willing to show up in a really strange, unexpected way in a dark place. To do something about what is breaking your life apart. To do something about the internal sin and the external sin and evil because he cared. He was willing to be born in a manger in a dark world because of his love for us. He enters into the strangest places. So whatever weariness that you might know from this past year, whatever strange place that you might find yourself in, know that this Jesus came on a divine rescue mission because of the love of God that ultimately reveals his great glory. And he is God with us. And he makes his blessings flow. How far? Far as the curse is found. So rejoice. Joy to the world. Whatever you're going through, God has come. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. He's done marvelous things. This king of light and this king of love.